I don't know about you, but uh, after reading like that, it's just quite remarkable, I think, how God brings things together. This reading I chose at the beginning of the week, and this uh, thought from Jesus speaking that he's alive forevermore. And then I had the hymns at the beginning of the week from Richard, and it just seems right that on this morning of all mornings, we are thinking about the Lord Jesus in his glory, who is victor over death, and he's alive forevermore. And because Jesus is alive forevermore, Bob is alive forevermore. Uh, and I hope that just for a few moments this morning, as we look at this uh, introduction, really, to this book of the Revelation, we'll be encouraged by what Jesus says to us. Jesus is speaking, in the first place, of course, to these seven churches, but he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to Park End this morning. He is the Lord of the church. So let's be encouraged as we think of something about this uh, passage and this vision. Now, the book of Revelations, of course, is, is difficult. Uh, many Christians avoid it because it is a bit complex. It's strange. It's full of images and uh, pictures. Sometimes it's more like a nightmare than a, a helpful vision. But we have to remember that John is writing in a style that's called apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature uses these strange and weird images and so on. And, and so we see that already in this vision that is being relayed to us of the Lord Jesus. It sounds a bit strange. Um, John hasn't had a bad dream overnight. Uh, he's in the spirit. He's on the Lord's day. He's actually on the Isle of Patmos, as he tells us there. He's been exiled there because uh, of the oppression of the Roman emperor, Domitian in particular. He's been pastoring a church in Ephesus for many years. He's an old man now. He's probably around 90 years of age. And he's cared a lot for the church in Ephesus and those surrounding churches that we heard mentioned in the reading in that, in that region. And those churches are going through very difficult times. Persecution. Death. And so John receives this vision that's a message in the first place for those seven churches that he cared for but it's also for us, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ down through the centuries. And Jesus addresses these churches and us in terms of our current needs, our current status. He's aware of our needs and of the great challenges to our faith as we live in a hostile world on many occasions. So what's here first of all? Well, first of all, there's the voice. The voice. John hears a voice. That's what the text tells us. On the Lord's day I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. But then a bit further down, uh, I think uh, about uh, verse 15, it says, there was a voice like the sound of rushing waters. So immediately we're asking, so what is it? Is it a trumpet or is it rushing waters? What does it mean? Well, the answer is it's both, because it's apocalyptic writing. And generally the images are not to be taken literally. They are symbols of spiritual reality. So, it's a voice. It's like thundering water. What does he mean? Well, it's not an ineffective voice. It's not a small, it's not a timid voice. It's a magnificent communication to his church. It's an authoritative, commanding voice. It's the voice of the Lord of the universe. The trumpet, especially in the Old Testament, and there's many Old Testament references here, the trumpet sounds the presence and the purposes and the power of God. And so here's a voice of great authority, great power, 
and it almost overwhelms John as he's worshiping in the spirit on the Lord's day as he says but here's the wonderful truth that is this is the voice of the one who this chapter tells us the one who has loved us and who has freed us from our sins by his own blood verse 5 of this first chapter this is the one who comes now to speak to us he's loved us and he's freed us from our sins by his own blood he's given his life for us he loves us so much and he comes now to speak to us and here's the context of his speaking he comes to speak to the apostle in the midst of all his troubles of his exile of his imprisonment of his trials he was suffering for the sake of the kingdom with patient endurance and into those circumstances jesus speaks to him to come to encourage him to give him hope and so in the in the same way jesus comes to us into our circumstances whatever we're facing however we're feeling he's not waiting for you to get on top of the world as it were to get everything in your life in order he's not even waiting to get your sinful life in order he comes to us as we are in our need and in the midst of all our afflictions and our tribulations and our trials and our sadness he comes to us and he wants to talk to us you know as a matter of fact i think we actually hear him better sometimes when we're in trouble when we're afflicted than when everything's going fine when we have all the money in the bank we need and all the health we want and our children are doing well and your marriage is running along and all your relationships are as smooth as silk sometimes we don't hear god's voice sometimes as god's people we seem to listen a little better when we're not doing so well when we really need to hear him it was c.s lewis in his book uh, the problem of pain he says god whispers to us in our pleasures yes he's always there but he shouts to us in our pain it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world and sometimes we hear him better when we're in our, our extremities but doesn't need to be like that the wonderful truth here is that whatever our circumstances but especially in our trials and our sufferings jesus is with us he comes to speak to us to warn us to instruct us to encourage us but to comfort us to give us hope so that whatever our circumstances we will persevere in following him and friends amidst all the conflicting voices these days that clamor for our attention his above all is the voice that we need to hear because it's his truth the one who is the way the truth and the life it's his truth that gives us the right perspective on life and on death we need to listen to his voice so that's the first thing the voice then secondly there's the vision the vision I wonder if I asked you uh, to close your eyes for a minute and think of Jesus. I wonder what comes into your mind. What, how you would describe what you see. What image of Jesus comes into your mind? Apparently, I was reading that when congregations are asked to do this, over 80% describe an image of Jesus that they've seen in some artwork or some children's Bible. And all of them nearly all without exception are images of jesus whilst he was here on earth that's what we tend to think about now of course that's not wrong that's uh, very understandable on one level we read the gospels quite rightly we hear the stories of 
a compassionate Savior who, who came and took our flesh and our blood and looked just like us to be one with us. And if you didn't know who he was, like it was in his lifetime, they just thought he was a common poor carpenter's son. And so we imagine Jesus that way, and he is accessible to us that way. That's perfectly reasonable. He's very human to us. And in all his weakness and, and humanness and vulnerability, we find it easy to relate to him. And so we just naturally imagine him almost exclusively, just like the pictures in the children's Bible. And that's fine. But we can forget that incredible condescension of the Lord of glory, who we've been singing about already this morning, who spoke creation into being. The Lord of glory and his condescension as he accepted to be our savior. We can forget just who he was from all eternity and to all eternity. And so here in John's vision, we're reminded, we, we, we catch a glimpse again of the majesty and the, the eternal power and glory of the Lord Jesus. Verse 12, And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest, and so on. And, and almost every feature of this vision has a reference back to the Old Testament and emphasizes the glory, the power, the majesty of Jesus. That, that phrase, son of man, it was actually Jesus' favorite title for himself when he was here on earth. That's how he referred to himself, the son of man. So we might think, well, that merely refers to his humanity, of course. It's just a title of humility, and it, it is that. But, in fact, if you know your Old Testament, and John surely did, it's used in a different way, especially in Daniel. Daniel has visions, and uh, in Daniel 7, we, say, we read this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came like like one a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, to God the Father, and he was presented before him. And to him the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and kingdoms, and all peoples, nations, and languages will serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So when John says that he saw one like a son of man, standing in the middle of the lampstand, standing in the middle of these churches, looking after them, he means that he saw someone with dominion and glory and kingly power and authority over all the nations, over all the peoples, and over the world, and the cosmos, which he will rule forever and ever because his kingdom will never be destroyed. And the further descriptions here emphasize that this Son of Man is no one less than God himself. This is what John saw in Jesus. He was like the Ancient of Days, he says, with all the wisdom of eternity and the maturity and steadiness of age, but not weak, not weary, not faltering in his steps, not like an old man who has to walk with a stick, no, not at all. He's vibrant, his, his eyes were like flames of fire. His face was like the sun in all its fullness. They're not, his eyes are not faded uh, with failing health or fading glory. 
They're not dimmed by age and weariness. No, they, they miss nothing that happens in the universe. They're exploding with energy and power. That's the vision of this amazing Son of Man. So, what's the point of the vision? Why is this the opening vision of the book, this strange book? What's the message, first of all, to these seven churches that they needed to hear? Well, in a word, finally, the message is victory. Voice, vision, victory. The victory. That's the whole point of the vision. That's the whole message of the book of the Revelations, victory. Jesus wins, the Lamb wins. John is in prison on the island of Patmos because of his allegiance to Jesus as Lord. He's refused to call the Emperor of Rome Lord. No, only Jesus is Lord. And because of that, he's in exile. And in the churches in the Roman Empire, they're suffering hardship and persecution under the oppression of this pagan government. The Emperor Domitian, as I said, was particularly cruel and proud and he instigated fierce persecution against Christian churches in his emperor. But into this oppressive atmosphere, the king of kings, the ruler of all the kings of the earth, speaks to his people, to his servants, to encourage them. Of course, the immediate effect of this awesome vision of Jesus is to put John on his knees. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That's quite right. We worship this glorious, risen, ascended Lord. But the reaction of Jesus is to encourage his servant with the assurance of victory. Listen to verses 18 and following. Then he, Jesus, placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Don't be afraid, says Jesus. All this power and glory and authority is being used on our behalf for us. Don't be afraid. Why? Well, because this Jesus puts his powerful hand upon us. And in his love and care for us, he wants to raise us up, to give us courage, to give us hope, to persevere. Why not be afraid? Well, because this Jesus is the first and the last. He's before all things and he will be after all things in the end. He is eternal, all-powerful. He rules the events of history and he rules over your life and mine. Why not be afraid? Well, because he's the living one. He was dead and now he's alive forevermore. He's the conqueror of death and hell and the grave. And those who trust in him, no matter how hard the way, no matter how fierce the fight, no matter what the sadness and difficulties we face, those who trust in him will share in this glorious victory because he is the ascended Lord. As we thought perhaps last Thursday, the day of ascension, he is the ascended Lord to glory. So be encouraged. Jesus is speaking. He's speaking to you. He's speaking to Park End. He's reminding his servant, John, first of all here, that although he's now been exiled and put out of the picture, as it were, to Patmos, 
and he's been taken away from the churches that he loves and cares for, actually, don't be afraid, don't, don't worry. They're not alone. They're not hopeless because he's walking amongst the candlesticks. He's there. The risen, victorious Lord is with them. He's still walking there among them to strengthen them and to direct them. So whatever our situation, he's amongst us to help us, to guide us, to encourage us. Because the ascended Lord gives his spirit at Pentecost. So be encouraged. Because the one who is glorious in majesty and power loves you and has died for you to loosen you from your sins and to, to prepare you for that day when we will see him face to face. And he's alive forevermore. And not one thing in the universe is out of his control. No matter what circumstances might tell us. And you are safe in his hands. You're in his almighty grip. Don't be afraid. The voice, the vision, and the victory. That was one of the major reasons why we don't, we don't have to live in fear, consumed with worry and anxiety, is because, as we've just seen, we know how the story ends. Don't know if you've ever done that, have you? When you're reading a book, you can't wait to see how it ends. You, so you go to the end of the book, and you read some of the last chapter. When, I, when our children were younger, especially, I think, our youngest, I, I always told them bedtime stories. And I remember Beth, particularly, perhaps I was a bit... I over-egged it a bit, especially when we were in Africa, and these stories would feature lions and big cats and big snakes, and uh, I probably overdid it a bit, and every now and again, Beth, bless her, she would, she would pull the, the quilt up over her head and say, no, Daddy, no, 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 Daddy, no, no, D does it, does it, is it all right in the end? And I'd say, oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, 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 no, it's, it's okay in the end. The little laddie gets home okay, don't worry. The lions don't get him. The snake doesn't get him. No, it's, it's okay in the end. And so she'd, she'd pull the quilt down and breathe a sigh of release and relax a bit and hopefully go to sleep. Um, but we know that it's all right in the end. We know that sickness will not have the last word. Jesus will. We know that natural disasters or nuclear war will not end life on this planet. Jesus will end the life and transform everything. We have the promise of his return. We know that death does not have the last word. Jesus does. We know that what happened to Bob yesterday or the early morning today, that's not the last word. He's with the Lord. Jesus has the last word because he's alive forevermore. And those who trust in him have this glorious hope. He is the reigning and coming king. So we see, we see these different things and our lives can be hard and we know the tears, but we have this hope that enables us to, to thrive even in life's toughest times. There's this quiet confidence that takes us through because we know how it ends. We've read the last chapters of the Bible. We know how the story ends. It ends with Jesus in everlasting life, joy and peace and glory. And that, that's not just pie in the sky when we die, no. It's this hope that motivates us and energizes us and sends us out into this week to live each day positively, 
gloriously for Jesus' sake. Because Jesus is alive and he promises his presence and he's with us forevermore.